Hello everyone, I'm Andy. This morning's Bible reading comes from the book of Romans in the New Testament, chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We've been reading through a letter that the early Christian leader Paul wrote to the church in Rome. It's a long letter, it's a dense letter with lots of Bible and theology ideas and it's it's an argument that's built chapter by chapter. And in the previous chapter that we looked at last week, it was kind of a a grim picture of the human condition. And he basically said that um, all people break God's holy law. All people are, to use a Christian word, a biblical word, are sinners. All people miss the mark when it comes to living God's way. And even the people that are generally seen by you and me as good people, even they miss the mark. Even they aren't really living in the way that God wants. They're self-centered, corrupt sinners too. And Paul said, even worse, 
because the Israelites have God's law, it's harder for them because they, they've got all the information in front of them about how to um, be righteous like God is. But that information, all that law, just draws the sin out like a, uh, a greenhouse causes flowers to grow or I used the example last week, like water, the pure water, where water is like the law, if you put it, mould in it, the mould spreads um, and grows. And so it's the sin that's in us that's the problem. It's not the law that's the problem. That's what Paul said last week. So, you know, I used the example of Adam and Eve. They get given their one law by God, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then suddenly they want to eat it. And on a national scale, God gives uh, Moses the law, um, to, for the benefit of the whole of Israel. And the first thing they do is build a golden calf and have a big orgiistic festival. You know, so this is the problem that human nature has got. And for Paul, as he write, writes this whole letter, it's no theory for him. It's not theory. It's not just some kind of, um, what they call theology in the, in the lab. It's not in a test tube. You know, it's real for him because he knows what it's like because he's been there himself. Um, and in hindsight, he looked back on his old life before Jesus um, changed his life, and he remembers what it's like. He thought of himself as faultless, but in actual fact, with hindsight, he realizes he struggled about, and he was not able to be righteous. Paul's claim is that all people without Christ are in trouble with sin. And um, it's not that everyone realises this. It's not that if you walk out in the street that the people that you meet will even think of themselves this way. But sometimes what happens is, in God's grace, he sends his spirit to people and gives them a nudge, and that nudge causes them to suddenly realise what's wrong in their life. Now, you might think that's not a, a gracious thing to do or a loving thing to do, to suddenly realize what's wrong in your life. But actually it is. It's God giving you a poke saying, the way you're living your life isn't the way I want you to live your life. And sometimes, you, you, you know, a person might come to this realization, and this could be you this morning. Perhaps this is you I'm describing. Perhaps the Spirit has given you a nudge and... And maybe that's why you're here this morning, because you're realizing the things in your life aren't quite right. Well, if this is you, I have some really good news. You've come to church on a morning where uh, we, the, the bit we're up to in the letter isn't, um, isn't depressing. It's actually really exciting. It's uplifting. So let's look at the verse 17 verses to see, verse, first 17 verses of chapter 8 to see what it has to say. And the first kind of big idea that we get in, in this turning point in the letter is that God's Spirit will set us free. God has sent his Spirit to set us free from being condemned. This is the first really good news. If you say yes to Jesus, says Paul in the letter to the church in Rome, if you say yes to Jesus, God sends his Spirit to you and the Spirit fills you up and then sets you free from being condemned. This is, um, it's a kind of like, a, God achieves this in two ways. Um, Jesus achieves it in his work on the cross, and then the Spirit achieves it by setting you free. And they, the two work together. So this is God working Father, Son, and Spirit. And this is a cool breeze for anyone 
who finds themselves weighed down with guilt. It's like the difference between when you've had a really hot day and then you dive into the to the pool and you just enjoy the cooling down. You know that feeling? That's what we're talking about here. It's a radical change for you. Sin's power has not won the day. It's reached, but God has um, pushed your your sin back into the darkness, and He's rescued you. He's shined His light into your life. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, says the passage. And what does He actually mean by no condemnation? Often, when we think of the word condemnation, well, I think of feeling self-condemned like I'm a failure, like I condemn myself. You know, um, if you feel like you might have failed at life, um, and often we do, you know, we have such high standards in our culture of um, what we think a successful life looks like, Um, having successful relationships or being a successful parent or successful in your work or successful in your study and and you don't quite achieve the high standard that you set for yourself, you can condemn yourself. You judge yourself. A person can be condemned to a life in prison. Um, a building is condemned if it's not safe to, to, for use. But often it's us that condemn ourselves. When Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, well, actually, he's, he's not really talking about the feeling of being condemned. Although I do think that what God does for us through Christ Jesus and through sending the Spirit into our hearts will affect our sense of feeling condemned. But that's actually not the main thing he's talking about. He's actually talking about the idea of being condemned in a jurisdictional sense. Um, so. This is about God's verdict on you. He will look at you and say, yeah, I know the sin that you've committed in your life, but you are not guilty. You are not condemned. In fact, you are right with me. You are justified before me. You are set free. My law has been dealt with. Enter into eternity with me. The famous English theologian Tom Wright said about this idea that it is quite simply the foundation for Christian joy. He says, you have no condemnation, says says the passage, because, if you read it, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So you are no longer condemned if you are in Christ Jesus because the Holy Spirit sets people free who believe in Jesus. You're free from being controlled by your sin and free from eternal death. And Paul's explaining kind of a a theological idea. He says, what the law of sin and death, and this is kind of his label for the law of Moses or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, what that could not achieve, the law of the Spirit, so this is he's using the word law in a very broad sense here, the new transformed life you have, from being filled by the Spirit, what that Spirit, what He can achieve in your life, He can do. This is the power of the Spirit, the the overflow of Christ's power and His death on the cross. And that death has res- rescued us from what the, the Torah could not do. Look at verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, 
because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. The Australian theologian Mike Bird explains it this way, God does not condemn Jesus, more precisely God condemns sin. But Jesus sucks the poison of sin from us and draws its vile venom into his own flesh where it is denounced and defeated. So Jesus dies his death in our place. He takes the penalty for our sin onto himself. So the goal of what God did is explained clearly. It was so that his perfect justice could be maintained. It wasn't like God God looks at you and says, you're not condemned and I don't really care about the things that you did. Let's just overlook it. He deals with it through the death of Jesus so that we can live in a new way according to the Spirit, it says in verse 4. So it's not just so that you can go to heaven. What we, what we, the good news here, some people think, you know, being a Christian is just about being able to go to heaven when you die. That's it. That's an exciting thing, but that's actually a lot more than what Paul's talking about here. He's actually also talking about being transformed now. And so this is this phrase, living according to the Spirit. This is what he's talking about elsewhere. He's written other letters to other churches, to the church in Galatia. He says, um, Christians should walk in the Spirit. Um, uh, in a church, a letter to the church in Corinth, he says, believers should live out the law of Christ. It's all saying the same thing in a different way. And later on in this letter to the church in Rome, he'll say, you'll know if you're doing this, if your church is like this, if, if you as an individual is living in this new way of the Spirit, if you love each other. It's simple, really. This is what being set free looks like. When the Spirit of God enters you, after you believe in Jesus, and you're set free, it looks like love. It looks like grace. It looks like self-sacrifice. It looks like Jesus. The Spirit who is in us and amongst us enables us to live this way. And all we need to do is walk. Walk not in the way that we used to walk, according to the flesh, according to the selfish, uh, sinful ways, but live in the new way, the way of the Spirit. So let's look at this concept of the new free spiritual life of godliness a bit closer. In verses 5 to 13, he really sets up this contrast between the way of the flesh and the way of the Spirit. And he's saying, you want to choose the way of the Spirit. This is all about what your mind is focused on, the transformation that occurs. Because if you live according to the flesh, your mind is focused on things of the flesh. And if you live according to the Spirit, your mind is focused on things of the Spirit. Things of the flesh will lead to your destruction. This is a life of condemnation, of oppression, of death. And if you live according to the Spirit, you have the Spirit living in you. Your mind is focused on righteousness, godliness. You care about what God cares about. And it leads to peace. And Paul says to the Christians in Rome, this is you. You're, you've got the Spirit living in you. So you live this way, in case you didn't realize. Verse 9, you who, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And um, he uses this language of the Spirit of Christ as well in this part of the passage. And don't think of that as the Spirit of Christ as something different to the Holy Spirit. Um, 
the one and the same Spirit who raised Christ. If you have the Spirit of Christ, there's this great sort of um, formula. If you have the Spirit of Christ, then Christ has you. It's a good way to think about it. And there are many profound benefits of having the Spirit of Christ. It says in verse 10, Even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Now, it remains a sake that... Um, if you say yes to Jesus and the Spirit fills you, that you will still experience sickness in this life. Many of us experience sickness on a daily basis in different ways. Our bodies decay. We have to go to the doctor. And um, we get medicine, and that sort of helps for a while. And then one day we all die. And this is part of living in the broken world. We are not yet in heaven, where there will be no more sickness, and no more dying. So we continue to experience this cycle of birth, life, and death, and Jesus experienced that same cycle. But we can trust that if we are with Christ, with the Spirit living in us, then we will go to be with Jesus when we die. And we will one day be resurrected, our whole bodies will be resurrected to be with Jesus for eternity. But not only that, there are benefits now if we receive Christ if we receive the Spirit of Christ in our lives. And the benefits are a new relationship with God and a life marked by peace. And this new relationship with God that we have now, where we can talk to God and where we can worship God and we can live in the community of Christians, is a taste of this eternity that we look forward to. Now sometimes, because of human psychology being a bit messed up, because of the experiences of our lives, because of our self-doubt, you can have this assurance, this, um, state, this clear statement of, of your, your place with God and your salvation. You can have that and yet still doubt it. Many Christians you know, have been told clearly, yes, you are with Christ. You are no longer condemned. And yet you can still wonder to yourself, does God really love me? And if this is you, uh, you're here and you think this way, I totally get it. Our brains are messed up. You know, all that self-talk, that self-condemnation is just part of the, the difficulty of not being in heaven yet. And so sometimes, you know, you can know intellectually that you're not condemned, but you don't feel it. Um, if you really are a Christian and you still feel insecure in your standing before God, there is things you can do. First of all, I want to say to you this. Um, the very fact that you care about your own salvation, the very fact that you care, you want to be right with God, is an indicator that you have the Spirit of Christ living in you. Because you don't care about this at all. It's not possible to care about your standing before God. Um, and, you know, the, it's not possible to care about whether or not Christ's death is sufficient for you unless you have the Spirit of God in the first place. This is one of the mysteries of how this all works. If you love God, if you care about God at all, that is evidence that you have the Spirit of Christ. Because it says in the letter to the Romans, and it says elsewhere, the, the Apostle John, for example, says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you even just, if that's part of your identity, that you're a person who loves God and cares about your salvation, then you are saved. You are not condemned. And every time you wake up or you're walking through, you know, your day and you you feel those self-condemned thoughts, you can just say to yourself, I am not condemned because I'm in Christ Jesus. I am not condemned. I have the Spirit of Christ living in me. This is good news. Now, if your anxiety for your salvation continues, there are things you can do. There are a few people in our congregation who have spiritual directors, a spiritual director. A spiritual director is kind of like a counsellor who's expert who's an expert in helping you in your Christian walk. Um, and one of the things they do is help you to untangle your, your kind of confused thoughts and to really connect with God. So that's a kind of a high-level thing you can do if you really want to explore those questions. I, I'll, an easier thing you could do is just to have a conversation with a Christian friend or with me or, um, or, or one of the staff if you want, and we can help you in that way. Because having assurance, it's it's a bit like this. I I, I don't know um, how often you go to airports, but when you go to an airport, you can tell the difference between those who have a boarding pass and those who don't have a boarding pass but are on standby. Because the people with the boarding pass who who have their seat on the plane, they're off, you know, trying out the perfume and buying a beer and, you know, looking through the magazine store and they're relaxed, they've fallen asleep on the on the chairs, you know, at the exit lounge. But the people who are on standby, who aren't even sure if they've got a ticket or not, they're looking up at the screen, they're walking around, they're pacing, they're on their phone, they're ringing up, you know. And that's the difference between those who are in Christ Jesus and those who are not in terms of their salvation. You are relaxed now. You can be sure that you are with Christ. And um, the thing is, though, you know, just to change the metaphor again, um, you know, it's it's not like as if you're just hopping on a plane and flying off to heaven, but more you could think of it like you're um, boarding a rescue boat. The church is a bit more like a rescue boat where we go out to pick up the refugees and the survivors from the storms of evil and suffering and we keep sailing until our admiral comes and boards the boat and takes control. We are on the boat and we are safe if we are with Christ Jesus. You can know for sure that you're going to be delivered. It doesn't matter what storm of sin comes, what um, kind of wickedness crashes on your boat, even if you experience tragedy. None of these things can separate you from God's love. Christ's sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for you. What the Spirit is doing in your life, if you said yes to Jesus, has set you free. There's no turning back. So to get to verse 12 and 13 of this part of the letter, we have an obligation then. If all this is the case, if you have the Spirit living in you and the Spirit has set you free, then you have a new life and you're like, oh, the Spirit, big time. Paul uses the word obligation. But also he says, why on earth, if this is all the case, would you live in any kind of way like you'd be like the person in the airport with the boarding pass still worried about whether or not they've got a boarding pass they're holding the boarding pass in front of them so you live in a new way you can relax you can you can uh your life has changed 
And, and, and so Paul says there are two possible lives you can live uh, now, one which res- results in eternal life and one which results in eternal separation from God. Verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So it's just saying, put to death the sins of the body. Get rid of them as much as you can. Don't just like tone it down a bit. Try and remove the sin from your life as much as you possibly can. And it is, it is impossible to completely do it all, all together. But you know, you try and you try and live in a new way. And you can't do it in your own strength. You do it in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit helps you in your weakness. You pray each day, Lord, help me to live this way in a way that's pleasing to you. You make conscious choices to live by the Spirit in a way that is loving, gracious and honest. And then to get to verse 14 to 17, there are two pathways you can be on. The pathway of the flesh, the pathway of the Spirit. If you're in, if you're with Christ, you're on the pathway of the Spirit. You're set free from sin and death. And in, and these verses, last verses show us that if this is the case, then there's some exciting news that you are, you have a new status as an adopted child of God. You have now an intimate relationship with God. You're part of God's family. And you have a secure future with him. So because you're part of his family, you start acting like a member of his family. Now in our passage it says both the language of being a child of God and also uses the language of sonship. Now this is 2018. Why why would the translators still use gendered language like sonship? Well, they've chosen it for good reason. They haven't altered it. Um, because, because it carries with it some important meaning. I want to explain. Um, so if you look at verse 15, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And what is being described here applies to everyone, not just to boys, but applies to girls too, men and women. In the ancient world, um, it was um, a patriarchal society and the adopted son had a very high status. In some cases, higher than the um, biological children. Um, and their inheritance was huge, you know, it's very significant. Um, and so Paul's saying, you've got the same kind of status as like one of the adopted sons of that period. He's also evoking the, the Exodus story from the Old Testament. When the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt and then and then the Bible says um, that they were, they, God made them into like his son, his, his, his chosen son, Israel as God's chosen son. It's language that the Jewish people who were listening or to this letter being read out, they would have understood. So in a way, Paul is saying that Christians have gone through their own kind of exodus, through the waters of baptism, coming out of the slavery of sin, and led by the Spirit, just like Israel was led by, uh, by the pillar of cloud and fire in the wilderness. And this is not just a new exodus for the Jewish people, it's a new, new exodus for the Gentile people, the non-Jews. So God's creating a whole new people group. So adoption is the perfect metaphor for what is going on because it gives a status uh, to the son which he has no right but pure and and. He, he, he is adopted because the Father has chosen him. This is an act of grace. 
You might have seen on Facebook there was, there was a really um, popular video that went around for the last few years. I think it's got like 17 million views. And it's a video of a, a little African-American girl who was an orphan. And um, she'd been living with her brother and sister with foster parents for about, a fa I think, a, a thousand days, it said on the video, or, or more, 1,100 days. And she'd been praying every day that, um, she would be able to be adopted because she wanted to have her own parents that loved her unconditionally and then she didn't want to have that uncertainty of the future. And on the video, um, they just, the parent, the foster parents had just received uh, the day after her birthday the note, the information from the government saying that she would be their adopted daughter as, lo as well as her brother and sister. And on the video, She's opening, um, they give her a present and she's opening the box and she pulls out the tissue paper and then she pulls out a note that says, I'm going to be adopted. And she bursts into tears because her life is transformed. The love fills her heart and, and it's the, it's the most amazing thing to watch. The love between the, the new parents and the child. And this is what it's like for us. The joy that she felt, we can feel too. The joy of knowing that God loves us intimately. It says in verse 15, By him we cry, Abba, Father. Which was an Aramaic name for familiarity, intimacy and trust. God is your Lord, is your Father who you can put your trust in. Some language experts say Abba is a bit like Daddy. I've put the band on the front, it's got nothing to do with that, but I just couldn't help myself. Um, so it's nothing to do with the winner takes it all or um, Mamma Mia or Waterloo. But, but nevertheless, the kind of joy that Abba brings to you, even more so. <laughs> Part of the beauty of Christian prayer is that it's not like we're praying to the ether or to the sky or to an angry God, but we are praying to the God who loves us. This is one of the best gifts the Spirit gives us. See verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And as a child, you also have an inheritance. You share in the inheritance with Christ because you are part of God's family. So Christ is the firstborn son and you have the same status with him. Verse 17, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You have the same status in the sense, that, not that you are like the Messiah, but in the sense that you have the same inheritance status. You will share with Christ immortality, exaltation and glory. So there's a huge reversal that is done by God. He has taken us from the lowly oppression of slavery, living in the way of the flesh, to the high status of an adopted child of God. Look at the rest of verse 17. We are co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You are united with the crucified Lord. Yes, in this life you will experience suffering, but you will also experience resurrection like Jesus has. This is the path of self-sacrifice, the path of suffering and the path of glory for Jesus and our path too. Christians follow this same path of self-sacrifice but then we do it in the hope and the knowledge that we are um, going to end up in eternity with God and we also do it 
knowing that we have intimacy with the Father. Our lives are transformed now. So I want to finish now um, by inviting you to say yes to Jesus this morning. If you um, have come and you're feeling condemned and you just don't know the love of God, but you're wanting it, may, maybe, maybe you felt like you backtracked or, or whatever, or maybe you've never said yes before, I want to invite you this morning. So I'm going to pray and I invite you to say this prayer. I'll just pray a line and you pray it to yourself after me. So let's pray together. You can pray it quietly or you can pray it out loud. Um, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I have been living in the flesh as a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite your spirit to come into my heart. I want to live according to the Spirit. I want to have the assurance of my salvation. I want no condemnation. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. In your name, Amen. Uh, let's stand. And um, if you've said it for the f- that prayer for the first time or if you already believe it, let's, you, we can say this together, the affirmation of faith.